sunny day in central Ohio. What a great day to look through the window. I'm Dr. Joanna Williamson. And I'm Dr. Iris Cooper. And we are pleased to be with you this Saturday morning as we look through the window here in Columbus, Ohio, but all over the world. And I see something outside the window, Dr. Joe, that I want to talk to you about. There's a lot to talk about. You know, after our last show last week, we talked about the pandemic and coming out of the pandemic. And I went home and I took the advice of our counselor who was on that session. And I sat in a darkened room for the rest of the evening. And that was great. But the next day, I did something I hadn't done in a long time. I turned on the news because there was so much happening. So I pulled back the blinds. And what did you see when you did that, Dr. Ivis? Well, there's a lot of um, talk going on, and um, I want to talk about the the horrible situation in Atlanta. That's where I was afraid you were going to stop. Yes. Um, the women who were victims of that hate crime, mm-hmm. uh, it was barbaric. It was unnecessary. It was premeditated, and it was excused. Oh, but wait, has it officially been declared a hate time? Of course, there are those of us who strongly suspect that attacks on the Asian community might in some way be related Mm -hmm. to the fact that the person at the top of the U.S. government spent quite a bit of time over the past year focusing on the pandemic, not necessarily the half million lives that had been lost, not necessarily the need for um, protective measures like wearing your mask, but rather the fact that since the origins of the disease may have been in Asia, that it was appropriate for him to continue to refer to it as the China virus to his base that he kept whipped up about violence and, and other types of issues throughout the year. So are we running, to, rushing to judgment to call that a hate crime when you have a group of Asians who appear to have been targeted recently with violence? Uh, it's the same pattern, looking for a scapegoat, looking for a reason to hate, to hurt, to destroy uh, families impacted. Um, it's, uh, it's barbaric. And let's see where it goes. Uh, there have been so many hate crimes excused that have preyed on people of color. And it reminds me um, of going back and looking at why they don't want us to vote. And what does this even have to do with voting? So when I pulled back the blinds and turned on the news, as I hadn't in a while, as I shared at the top of the broadcast, I realized that I wasn't quite aware of how tense I had been over the past four years until Inauguration Day when suddenly I didn't feel the need to jump up every day and look at the news to see what state of existence we were in. Mm -hmm. And it dawned on me that much of our lives is governed by that political process. And I understand how people have had to stop watching 24-7 news and relish the fact that they no longer have to do that. But there's a certain amount of staying woke that needs to happen. We can't disassociate ourselves because so much that's going on is a result of the voting process. And and, and coincidentally, last week, I believe, was the anniversary 50 plus years of what's known as Bloody Sunday, okay, when civil rights icon John Lewis, but others whose names we don't even remember, committed the terrible act of wanting voting rights and walking across a bridge to the Alabama state capitol to try to make that happen. And the rest of it is history. So that there are a lot of ways we could celebrate that and commemorate that. But one thing that was happening at the same time, if I'm correct, is that there are about 100 bills passed throughout the country to try to try to restrict the very voting rights. And, and and let's not be all doom and gloom. We're proud of the fact that we turned out for the presidential election in November in record numbers. And so that's cause for pause to say, yeah, we did it. But it's not over. It's a process. It's not over. 
I just wish I had paid more attention in history when I was going through school. <laughs> the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Before that point with Lyndon Johnson, do you know they made some black people recite the entire Constitution before they could vote or pay to vote or um, make up, get rid of the, the, the voting places? They're still doing that now. Mm-hmm. Voting is a precious commodity and people of color must hold on to that right. Uh, we... Um, are entitled to it as citizens, and we have to maintain it for not only the current period, but generations to come. And so you would think, given the voter turnout, that we've reached a point where this is no longer a thing, but we don't have to go back to Lyndon Johnson. We can Mm -hmm. go back to yesterday Mm -hmm. or last week when a Texas um, congressman whose name we just won't bring up here, but we probably will, was telling a group of his conservative colleagues that of all the agenda items that the Republican Party in particular was pursuing, and we know that gun rights, we know that abortion rights and those types of things are at the top of their list, but they've rearranged it so that voting access or lack of voting access is at the top of their agenda, supposedly as a follow-up to the the claims that um, our now ex-president made about the atrocities that were committed, you know, the fact that he got defeated. And based on that, the, the Republican Party has decided that voting access is an issue such that they have to step in. You talked about what was done in the Lyndon Johnson um, presidency. Now there are bills in about 28 states going around that will require things like getting a notary public that has to approve of and stamp your ballot if you mail in. Do you know how challenging it is to find a notary public to do that? And why should you have to? So on the other side of the, the aisle, you have the Democrats who have passed a package that may or may not make it through Senate. That's just the opposite. They would, for example, try to make it easier to register to vote, including same-day voter registration, 15 days of early voting. So if you have to work on voting day, and that's fairly new, a fairly new phenomenon to allow early voting, even on days like Sundays, you know, when Mm -hmm. folk like to leave church and go vote, why would you restrict something like that? And so that bill may or may not make it through the Senate, even though we score victories in the Senate. And by we, I mean the Democratic Party. I'm a registered Democrat, but today we're going to try to talk on both sides of the aisle. But why would you try to restrict voting? And why would we allow that to happen, especially when we see the impact of what we did? We see, for example, a stimulus checks. That's another thing that's happened this week. So stimulus deposits in bank accounts, mm-hmm. stimulus checks went out this week to those who um, say, you know, we have a socialist government. You might want to return those payments. But nonetheless, not a single Republican voted for that. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Why is that? We want to look through the window, but not just based on the reflections of, of Dr. I and I. I hope I've reached a point in my life where I don't have to say to any U.S. citizen, please vote. Please vote. I'm almost at zero tolerance in terms of excuses not to vote. And yet I do think that there's a very good reason. You refer to what what went on in your high school civics class, which most of us did or did not listen to or retain. But voter education, ongoing knowledge of what's going on is so critical. And so we have three guests here today who I I can't think of of a better slate of folks to tell us what it is we need to know, not only in election season, but every season is election season. The voting process goes on. We're going to bring to our audience today first Jen Miller. Jen is, is head of the League of Women Voters of Ohio. We're going to let her tell us why the League of Voters started, what they do now, and explain to us some of the terms we hear but might not understand, like gerrymandering and, and voter suppression. And then we're going to try to bring in a, a very respected person in central Ohio, the Honorable Judge Guy Reese, who most of us know as a judge, but some of us might not know that he spent some time as head of the Franklin County and Central Ohio Board of Elections, and the Board of Elections plays a role, too, in voting access. So we're going to ask him to talk about that. And then he is also a very um, respected member, even though the positions he's held have been nonpartisan. He's 
also a very respected Republican. And so there might be some questions we might want to ask from the perspective of the Republican Party. And then we have in studio Larry Price, who is a former um, state representative in Ohio, but who continues to be a ferocious advocate for voting rights and political campaigning. Um, and so we're going to have those three folks talking to us today, and we're delighted that they could all join us and very, very appreciative. So Jen, why don't we start with you okay if you can turn your audio down for us since you'll be joining us by phone if you can introduce yourself and your organization to our audience hi there is this sound okay we're adjusting Do it I sound right okay? now yes you're good thank you okay Jen. all right thank you i am so glad to be here my first radio interview ever was back in the day on 1580 with the the late and absolutely respected Bill Moss. So I'm just, it's wow. fun to be back. And, um, you know, the League of Women Voters of Ohio is 100 years old. It comes out of the Ohio Women's Suffrage Association that was working here in Ohio to get women the right to vote. When the 19th Amendment was being ratified, 14 organizations helped found us. Um, it included an association of teachers. Um, there were nurses. Uh, business women, the Federation of Colored Women's Clubs, the Jewish Federation, and, and even the DAR. So this really kind of like what you're trying to do here, this really diverse group of women who realized that we would have a new electorate and that their rights would need to be defended, but that all voters would also need more information, the where, the what, the how, as well as uh, we started a voter guide that is 100 years old. It actually started in Ohio, the voter, the League of Women Voters nonpartisan voter guide, and now is celebrated all over the country, and that's online at vote411.org. So, Jen, let me back up for just a moment because we're, we're yes, going to ma'am. do voter, voter, voting 101 that we learned or should have learned in high school. And then we are going to move forward to an advanced knowledge of today. So based on what you're saying, then when our country was formed and the Constitution was created and we hear everyone now talking about constitutional rights. Correct. Over a century, you know, women's uh, voting, voting, um, women's suffrage actually started at the anti-slavery convention, which is before Seneca Falls. <laughs> um, some people like to think it started. So there was always this push for universal suffrage and justice. And and so part of this American history is the struggle to expand ballot access and really participation in government to more populations of people. And after the 19th Amendment was passed in 1920, we still had large swaths of the population who could not vote, as you talked about, the Jim Crow in the South, um, where about 3% of African Americans um, were voting before the, the Voting Rights Act was passed in 1965. Um, Puerto Rican women couldn't vote until the 30s. Native American women in some states didn't have uh, access to the ballot until the 1960s. Um, and so what we see here is that we have to fight really, we all had to fight really hard for access to the ballot. And now we have to fight every day to, to defend access to the ballot. And people are paying attention right now, but I, I must say that defending against voter suppression, which I know we're probably going to talk about that, but that's the idea of um, influencing elections by discouraging or preventing some folks from voting. Um, voter suppression is not new, not new in Ohio, not new across the country. Um, and so it just it continues to be a battle um, to protect our democracy because our democracy works best when we can all participate. So given that that is the case, what you just said, our democracy works best when we all can participate and our country was founded on those values. Why is it a struggle to get the access to vote. Why are we fighting about that? <laughs> well, see, I think this is an interesting one, right? Because we all have heard someone say that they didn't think their vote mattered or their vote didn't count. But if that were the case, it wouldn't have taken so long for people of color and women to get access to the ballot, and they wouldn't work so hard 
to try to take it away now. The bottom line is that there's always a push and pull between uh, especially economic interests, businesses, um, various groups um, pushing and pulling. And some are afraid that um, when the people get together and actually really um, exercise their power, that they won't have that their own personal, very selfish interests might be harmed. And so what they do instead is they try to put all of these barriers and laws in place. Um, and so I, I do think so here in Ohio, there's about 43 states, actually, that have introduced some sort of voter leg- voter suppression legislation. It hasn't happened in Ohio yet. Um, we are ready and watching, but there are talks about reducing early voting. So we could see, for example, maybe getting rid of that last Sunday of, of um, early voting, which is our souls to the polls. Um, that would be terrible. There's talks about um, limiting absentee voting, which is our voting by mail that's been on the books for 20 years. So I think this is where some action at the federal level is really important because it could help us. And you talked a little bit about that, that package called For the People Act that has passed the House is H.R. 1, and, and there's a slightly different version um, called S.R. 1 that's now in the Senate. But it would defend a lot of the rights we have now here in Ohio. It would increase access for many Ohioans with things like same-day registration. Um, but it also would protect the rights of our fellow Americans across the country, and we want that, right? We do. I, I do think it is a national interest that every uh, – voter has equitable access to the ballot. It also would fight against partisan gerrymandering, which is something I think you wanted to talk about. We don't have to yet, but I would just ask all of you to call Ohio's senators and ask them to support um, SR1 for the People Act um, for our own sake here in Ohio, but for all of our um, neighbors in, in states across the country. What is gerrymandering? Yeah, gerrymandering is another way of rigging political systems, and we have some some of the worst gerrymandering in the country. Partisan gerrymandering, it kind of makes sense. If one party is in control, they want to keep their party in control, right? So they try to, when it's time to make new legislative maps, which we make every 10 years, they rig it. So that's why we have these really funny shapes here in Columbus, if you look at our three congressional districts and you see how the, if you just pull up Ohio's congressional map and zoom in on Franklin County, and you're going to see such confusing shapes. They are, they're splitting neighborhoods and streets and communities, um, not for the purpose of trying to have good representation, but to secure two Republican seats and one Democratic seat. Um, the map makers 10 years ago actually called parts of Columbus dog meat voting territory, meaning that they thought, and those were, by the way, folks who, who leaned Democratic, that they were just, they called them dog meat bar- voting territory. They also called Joyce Beatty's district the Franklin County sinkhole. The idea of sinking as many Democratic votes into one district so that Democrats would not have as much power in the other congressional races that represent us. So when we look around Ohio and throughout the country and and say, gee, why does XYZ person keep getting elected over and over again, even if what they're doing is atrocious, in some ways it's perhaps because the district has been formed in such a way that that person will continue to get voted in, especially in the absence of any term limits. Yes, absolutely. So um, we are actually, I'll just say this about term limits. That's not a, we are not always in the same place as others on that. But gerrymandering is a concern, and I'll tell you why. Think about our congressional map. The map makers, we saw in their emails 10 years ago, that they wanted a margin of 12 Ohio Republicans in Congress and four Ohio Democrats in Congress. That performed with precision. So even in the Obama elections, when Ohio really went towards Obama, it was still 12 Republicans, four Democrats. And, and then again, when it went for Trump, 12 Republicans, four Democrats. Absolutely no movement. 
when a lawmaker knows that they are going to win their seat no matter what because the map has been rigged, they don't have to listen to you and me. And so it creates extremes. It creates these partisan divides. And then you get lawmakers who are unresponsive to the needs and interests of the people they are supposed to represent. The good news is that we are getting ready to make new maps. And I think you had another question, so I'll let you go. (laughs) We're going to take a commercial break, Jen. We're going to come back and talk to you about term limits for just a moment. You mentioned that. Thank you. Hold on as we continue to look through the window. Thank you for looking with us through the window. I'm Dr. Joe. I'm here with Dr. I, and we have guests online and in studio who are helping us stay woke about this voting process. We thought we had done our thing, which we did when on both sides of the aisle, we had record turnout in this year's presidential election. And that's great. But the process continues. And as we're finding out, not necessarily perhaps the way the Constitution had envisioned, unless we exercise our constitutional rights. We're wrapping up a conversation with Jen Miller, who's di- executive director of the League of Women Voters of Ohio. She's going to tell us one more thing about term limits in addition to what she's already talked to us about, about gerrymandering and other ways that we need to protect efforts against suppressing voter rights, no matter what our political persuasion. We need to protect what the Constitution envisioned. So, Jen, can you talk to us about, you said the term limits, you might have a different thinking about that than others perhaps at the League? Yeah, and so first off, term limits are not in the For the People Act. And one of the things we find with term limits is that actually when when we um, cut those terms short, it actually still creates preference for those who have more financial ability to run office. And then also when you have little organizations like mine, Versus if you think about a major industry like the gasoline industry or something, the gasoline industry can get in and and educate all of those elected officials very quickly because they have hundreds of lobbyists. You know, voter advocates like like ourselves or NAACP, we might only have one or two. So those relationships matter. But I think what matters right now that if I were to leave everyone with one thing, it's that voting in a presidential election is huge and it is so important. But that is just the beginning that um, if we remember President Obama having challenges getting some policies through, the voters need to now continue to advocate for policy change, and every voter needs to show up for their local elections. Local judges, and I know you have a judge coming up, um, local judges affect our daily lives. So do city council members. So do state reps. So we need everyone to show up to every election and to be calling elected officials and telling them what they believe. And Jen, let me be clear. I have expressed my personal um, political leanings, but am I correct in saying that the league is nonpartisan? Is that right? Yes, ma'am. We only side with voters, and we do that very – here's why. We never support candidates, and we never support parties. Because our job is to just think about voters and what voters need to succeed um, at the ballot box and what voters need for democracy to work for them. And it's great. I love being nonpartisan because it means I um, can kind of sometimes rise above the fray and, and hear both sides in a different way. But my job is simply to advocate for every Ohioan that government works for them. Jen, thank you so much for your time here today. You're welcome to stay here with us, but we understand if you have other business of the people to take care of. We're very excited and very honored to have two other guests who we're going to introduce to you at this time, one at a time. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jen. This is Dr. I, and I have the pleasure of introducing a man who has... um, been a leader in this community for many years. His name is Judge Guy Reese. He was a former judge of the Franklin County Court of Common Pleas. Pleas. He has also been the director of the Board of Elections 
um, in addition to many other experiences that have given him a position not only in the community but also with the Republican Party of stature and of respect. So welcome, Judge Reese. Thank you so much, Dr. I. I appreciate the opportunity to appear today. Okay. I hope that you and your family are well. Tell us, just briefly, Judge Reese, um, how you viewed the last year in terms of um, the election and the behavior of politicians. I, I, <laughs> that's a loaded question, and I'm going to give you a loaded answer. Okay. Uh, needless to say, uh, to the way some of the politicians uh, have uh, rebelled against the election this past year, I, I don't know how you would classify it as other than being against what our Constitution calls for and, and what the laws call for. Uh, I think uh, the elections, uh, if we look at the court decisions and everything else, uh, they were good elections, and they were conducted appropriately, and the results should have been validated by everyone. And to create within the general public the feeling that something was incorrect or wrong about the elections uh, is totally, uh, should not have occurred, and it's something that most people will say should not have occurred. Now, as a judge who uh, a retired judge, but I'm currently sitting by assignment. I'm, I'm not going to call names or be too political with respect to that, but I think what I've said is consistent with the Constitution and what courts have found. So, Judge Reese, this is Dr. Joe. I add my thanks to you for your time and for all you've done for our community. So I'm going to backtrack for just a moment and then come back to the very important comment you just made. I didn't realize until we looked at your full bio for this program, correct us if we're wrong, but you were head of the Board of Elections of Franklin County. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, from about uh, 99, 98 to 2003, I was the director of the Franklin County Board of Elections. Great. So building on our general voter education and information in this session, could you explain briefly what it is that a county board of elections does? A county board of elections basically is responsible for, number one, registering those qualified to vote, uh, conducting the elections, uh, even uh, reviewing the candidates and, and certifying candidates for the elections, conducting the elections, and then counting the elections and then uh, the results and then certifying the results so that we will know who won and who lost. So this past year, I worked at the polls. I was so concerned about trying to do my share, even in the midst of the pandemic, that I worked at the polls and I um, came face to face with some of the workers and, and the heads of various boards of elections. So that was informative to me. Based on what you just said and based on what I experienced, the head of boards of election have a tremendous decision making responsibility, correct? Especially as it relates to what we've talked about today and voter access and voter suppression. Would that be an accurate statement? I, uh, to a certain degree, but I, I would say the overall control over elections rests with the uh, Secretary of State. Uh, and that person really controls it to a certain degree. The other thing with respect to Board of Elections is that they are supposed to be bipartisan. In other words, 50% Republican, 50% Democrat. So as I was the director and then the person of the opposite party was the deputy director. And so it's, it's set up to be bipartisan. Uh, but the overall control over the elections rests with the Secretary of State. So can we feel comfortable then, if I'm understanding correctly, the Board of Election report to the Secretary of State, can we feel comfortable, based on my experience as a volunteer this past year, there were decisions being made like how many workers would be available, especially in the midst of the pandemic, to work at various polling locations, because if there weren't enough workers, then there couldn't be all the polling locations that were planned, and some communities may or may not have been able to have easy access to their polling locations. 
registration if they chose to vote in person. They might have to travel a little bit farther, which is problematic for some. Can we feel comfortable that those decisions are made then in a bipartisan manner to ensure equal access for all voters? What what you just stated, I hope, hopefully, was just an anomaly because of the pandemic. Generally speaking, staffing each polling location is a decision that's made locally uh, at the Board of Elections to recruit enough workers so that they can properly staff each polling location. If they have issues with respect to staffing, then that creates some problems. One of the things that uh, I think is starting to transpire with the number of folks that are exercising their vote absentee, uh, there is a, a huge reduction in the number of folks that show up at the polling locations, especially in the presidential year. Uh, in other years, uh, it's probably consistent. Uh, but uh, it's a local responsibility to properly staff polling locations. And generally, uh, a determination will be made on the number of voters in a location uh, when you start talking about how many polling locations you have and where they are located. And what about issues like what day of the week and what hours the voting locations are open. We heard Jen Miller from League of Women Voters um, express a concern about that as an issue related perhaps to voter suppression. It, it's no doubt that that has an effect on uh, folk getting to the polls. Uh, we've heard in the news about potential uh, legislation being passed in states like Georgia where they're saying they want to restrict uh, the people being able to go to the polls on Sunday, souls to the polls, which is something that uh, happens here and around the country, they want to restrict it. And when you look at who's showing up at souls to the polls, then that's a problem. Uh, hopefully in Ohio, we will not have something like that going on. I'm Judge Reese. This is Dr. I. I have a very general question about the status of voting here in the United States. As we um, welcome uh, immigrants and um, the, the, the population becomes uh, more diverse, why does it seem that we will not give up as a nation, making it more difficult and more confusing to vote? Well, I, I think that's a that's a p political question, and and that's what's being done. Is the political decision is being made to, uh, if you feel that your ability to get elected is being threatened, then naturally you may want to try to uh, ensure that only those that you feel will vote for you will show up at the polls and have the capabilities of voting. Uh, I think uh, with respect to restricting access to the polls, uh, hopefully we'll see something on a national level uh, being enacted that will uh, uh, do something with respect to the Voter Rights Act that uh, has been restricted some by the Supreme Court. Uh, it's going to take legislative action probably on a national level to do that. And, and you know, I, I think... Uh, Turning out and voting is significant if folk will do that. Uh, you know, I, I look at the numbers that here in Franklin County, uh, and I think you've talked about this some already, but uh, out of 880,000 voters, uh, 636,000 of them showed up in the presidential year. But if we go back one year from the presidential year, 840,000 registered voters, only 185,000 showed up at the polls, 22%. So you had a 50% change in the number of voters with respect to the total voter, 72% versus 22%. So just think what would happen if in an off year like this year, if more than 180 or 190,000 people show up and vote. Uh, how significant that would be and how you could you would be able to affect those that have make decisions starting at the local level. 
And I think that's significant. We look at the national level and say, we want to elect the president. We want to elect the senators, et cetera. What about the local folk that really impact you on a day-to-day basis? That's significant also. Uh-huh. Judge Reese, um, I want to ask you a question, not out of any disrespect whatsoever, but because I respect you so very much. When we talk about voter suppression, for example, it is widely perceived and perhaps even documented that it appears that the Republican Party is more of an advocate for that than others. What are your thoughts about that? Well, I, I think, again, if you, if you look at uh, what happened this year, with respect, just look at Georgia, where you had two uh, folk of, uh, on the Democratic side elected um, as senators, unheard of in recent times. So the reaction is to, why did that happen? Because more people showed up to vote. So what's the obvious way to make sure that will not occur again? And that is to... Uh, restrict the ability of people to go and cast a ballot. Too many people voted, basically, is what you're saying. And if we look at what our Constitution provides for, it's supposed to be a democracy, which would allow maximum turnout, maximum vote. Uh, And and it's unfortunate that it appears that the the Republican Party is the party that's uh, pushing that through. If you look at the news report, it says that the Republican legislature here, the Republican legislature there. And it's unfortunate. And it's certainly counter to what we would expect in a democracy and we would expect our Constitution to require. So we're going to get ready for commercial break. When we come back, I'd like to ask you about some of the more visible um, black Republicans nationally, names like Candace Owens come to mind, and even um, our, our deceased brother Herman Cain, who, from my perspective, appear to be speaking um, not so much inwardly to the Republican Party to try to express the kinds of concerns we're talking about today, but rather outwardly, especially to people of color, to kind of scold us just a bit for our concerns about these issues. So we respect your thoughts. We'd like to hear your thoughts when we come back from commercial break on the window. This is the window. Stay woke is our topic for today as it relates to the political process that affects every bit of our lives. It doesn't matter what you're distracted by, whether it's your job or your kids or the educational system. It all ties back to exercising your rights in a democracy. Voting and the voting process is what gives you power. We've heard from Jen Miller, head of the League of Women Voters of Ohio, to talk to us generally about our constitutional right to vote and how we stand up to advocate for that right in the face of others who would have us not exercise that. We have on the line the Honorable Judge Guy Reese, who's talked to us about um, his role on the Franklin County Board of Elections, his role as a well-respected judge, and now his role as a Republican and a Black Republican in particular. So we have just one last question for you, Judge Reese. But as you said, when we first started talking to you, it's a bit of a loaded question, and we appreciate you addressing it. So for a black Republican in general, I personally believe that the more offices and conference rooms that we are in as African Americans and people of color and minorities and oppressed people, the more the better. And yet, when I consider whether I would be a black Republican, I'm confronted with the faces of people black and white in the party who make me wonder if Republicans even like black folks. And I don't like to go places where I'm not liked. So can you talk to us about whether black Republicans feel that they can, in fact, turn to their party and just go, basically, what's up with this? We hold these truths to be self-evident. Well, you know, uh, that's a good question. And one of the things that uh, I think is significant when you say that, yeah, I'm a registered Republican, uh, but uh, that doesn't mean that I believe or follow everything that you hear from a Republican. Uh, And and I think that uh, that's significant uh, because you need to be able to... uh, uh, identify yourself and be able to look in the mirror at yourself and say that, uh, you know, you can fool a lot of people, but 
Can I look in the mirror and see myself and say, am I being who I should be? Uh, and, and that's not necessarily saying that I believe because this person says this, I believe that. Nor would I want someone to do that to me, say, simply because I say I'm this, then I'm automatically attached to this person that's off the rail. Uh, one of the things that I think is significant is that if we go back to uh, Martin Luther King's uh, speech, you know, uh, judge by the, am I going to be judged by the color of my skin or the content of my character? Uh, and, and that goes both ways. Uh, simply because I say I'm this, does that mean I'm out there somewhere? Look at me. Look at my character and who I am. And, and I dare say that if you talk to uh, anyone on either side of the party, Democrats, for instance, and ask them about me, hopefully they will say that he's the person of true character. You can depend on him no matter what his le- what label you may see out there. This is who he really is. Now, there are some that may sacrifice their character, sacrifice their truth, just to be in alliance with someone. I'm not that person. Hopefully, there are more people out there that are not of that character. Uh, I, I don't know what's going to occur in the future, but I certainly hope that... Uh, folks that identify themselves on either party will stand up and do what's right. And right is not saying it's the Democrat way or it's the Republican way. Right is right. And hopefully we'll get more people willing to say, I can't follow this. This is not correct. Yeah, I may say I'm this, but I cannot follow that. Judge Reese, thank you for your time today and for being exactly who you just said you are. We appreciate all you've done for our community. We are going to transition now. You're welcome to stay with us on the line if you would like to. We're going to transition now to someone who you may know. Larry Price is our in-studio guest. I'm just going to let Larry introduce himself <laughs> because I, 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 I don't know if I would have passed the reading poll test if I had to read down everything that Larry's going to tell us. He's done as it relates to his own career and also this whole issue of voting rights and the voting process. Welcome, Larry. Good afternoon. Um, let me, let me, I wear a lot of hats, but the one that I've been wearing consistently late lately as elder i'm very proud of my ordained preacher of tristone missionary baptist church under bishop ross and reverend dale tucker uh so i say that to say because once she lets me run down the various entities that i've worked with um over the years i've been blessed um i now sit as chair of the naacp criminal justice committee uh, on an active basis but my history in politics have been a, obviously I was a former state representative. I, I was a former sergeant arms in the Ohio Senate for about 15 years. I was former sound like a person can't keep a job. Um, <laughs> former message clerk in the Ohio Senate spent a lot of time at the state house. And then the mayor, Mayor Coleman asked me to be special assistant to him for a couple of years. And then from there I went to become a state rep. So I spent a lot of time and then I was an aide to a U.S. Congressman, um, Bob Shemansky. So I've spent a lot of time in the political arena in terms of jobs. On the other piece I think that I bring to the table is that I've run several campaigns. I was minority coordinator uh, statewide for Clinton, Clinton, Gore, and Kerry. I was an advisor to Obama both times. He ran on the state level. I was an advisor to Hillary Clinton when she ran uh, for president. And then, of course, with the victory of Biden, I was also an advisor statewide. So I've been involved in politics most of my life. Um, adult life. I had the pleasure of going to the Ohio State University with Dr. J over there. Um, we were both in journalism from that mistake, and we both graduated with journalism degrees. And of course, Dr. My good friend, I've known for years. So again, I'm, I'm honored and privileged to be here, but I definitely, it took a little bit for me to hold, uh, my tongue as we talked about all of these issues, because I'm, I'm quite aware of gerrymandering in terms of the state house. Um, every 10 years it's drawn. I was there when they were drawing the districts. I know what it's like. I know why they drew the districts. And when I say why, meaning this, power concedes nothing. Be clear on it. If I'm in control, then I'm going to draw the lines to make sure that I stay in control. It is not by accident 
that the state of Ohio has 12 Republican congresspersons and four Democrats. Those lines are drawn to keep them in power. And then you translate that to the U.S. House of Representatives, where it's 435 representatives. So when you look at states with those kinds of, of um, uh, what's my word here, those kinds of leadership in terms of Republicans, and then you wonder why for years that, that the U.S. House was controlled by Republicans. Now, what does that mean? That means the legislation then is controlled. So I'll not be a shock to anybody that the, that the state of Georgia is passing a phenomenal amount of voter registration. Uh, I'm sorry, voter intimidation types of legislation, because why? They lost it. They intend never to lose it again. And through their control of both the House and the Senate, uh, they're going to try very, very hard to pass those particular pieces of legislation. And it's a shame because America is better than that. So I'll stop there. I have a litany of stuff that I can talk about. Uh, well, we're going to ask you to keep talking about that litany, but I, if you could help us do it in the context of this, this just makes me mad for one. And when I get mad, I want to do something. And of course, on election day or, or if we're allowed to keep pre-election day voting, it's voting. But what can I do? What can Dr. I do? What can our listeners do about what's going on as it relates to voter suppression now? Okay. Now, okay, let me, and again, you know, I'm a preacher too. Let me add to that. When Obama ran, I was fortunate enough again to be part of the statewide team. Um, we were excited about the turnout. There were people that had never voted ever. I'm talking about in the African-American, people were coming in wheelchairs. People were walking. People were coming with canes. People were being dropped off. They were that excited. And we had a great turnout. Well, the reality of it is, when, when, when President Trump ran, there was also a great turnout. That's why the number 75 million votes, you know, that's why it broke records because, because there were people who had never ever voted before voted for Trump. And there were people who had never ever voted before voted for Obama. So that's why you see those record turnouts. Is it a good thing? Yes, in terms of democracy, because the right to vote is exactly that a right. It is not a privilege, to be honest with you. It's a right. It, it is it's your constitutional duty to be a part of this political process. So when you look at the turnout and when you look at what has happened across the state, and then you wonder why all of a sudden a slew of legislation across this country, which is why Joyce Beatty, who is our U.S. congressperson here, along with others, have introduced H.I. 1. They're trying to make sure that on a federal level, you can't do this stuff on a state level. You know, state rights, and I don't know if anybody remembers, I'm, I'm young, Dr. J, I, you know, I was just a kid, but state rights were very, very important during the lending days. They were saying clearly, federal government do not tell us what to do. If we want to lynch folk, we can lynch folk. If we want to suppress folk, we do. If we want to make sure, as uh, Dr. Dandrews said, coming through the door about jelly beans, I'm going to pull up a jar of jelly beans and you got to tell me how many are in the jar? Or you got to recite the Constitution. I mean, just crazy stuff. Did your daddy vote? Did you? No, not your daddy. Did your great grandfather vote? Who we knew was a slave, so we know he didn't vote. Did he own property? I'm only saying all of those types of things. Voter suppression is not new. We thought we had kind of gotten over the hump, and then then Mr. Trump then gets elected, and then he gets defeated, and so now we see the slew of voter uh, voter suppression legislation. But we're we're still getting lynched, and people who like to say, "Gee, I'm not racist," because they're thinking of days when when racism was manifested in, in visible ways, like lynching, don't realize that if you tell me if I'm a working class person, and you tell me that you're going to restrict the hours during which I can vote, and you're also going to restrict a mail-in ballots, then then I've just been lynched, and 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 we we love Stacey Abrams. Speaking of, of right. Georgia, we got Stacey right. Abrams mean. Right. I got my Stacey Abrams hairdo, mm -hmm. but what she did was to say, "Oh no, I'm, I'm right. not going out not like that." This. Okay, mm -hmm. so what can we do if we say I'm mad as heck and Here I'm not taking in this Ohio. Well, I we think do? I think first of all, I've been trying to um, get in touch with Stacey Abrams because I think her model uh, is a good model that needs to be emulated. For number one in Ohio. But let me say this. If I may pat on the back of Franklin County. Um, Judge Reese is a good friend of mine. Good person. One who I highly, highly respect. But when 1979 Columbus was run by Republicans in terms of city council, the mayor, all the county offices, most of the judgeships when I first came here. It took us years through voter registration 
taking folk to the polls. And I was a part of that in 1979 when Jerry Hammond and Ben Espy and all those folk, we were able to get folk registered to vote and make sure that they went to vote. So therefore, over between 1979 and 2021, Franklin County, we now control everything, literally. Um, city attorney was the last office that that was won by us last year. And I said it. So how did we get there? We get we get, we got there because we systematically understood we have not only got to get people registered, but you got to get them to the polls. So we register all these people. Have five thousand people registered, and only. 1,000 of them actually go vote. That's not good. So we figured out a long time ago that there needs to be followed. We registered 5,000 people. We want at least 35, 4,000 4, of them to go to poll. How do we do that follow-up? Do they need rights? Do they need babysitters? We did all of that over the years. We did citywide voter registration. So as a person, that's why I was tapped to be statewide minority coordinator for Clinton, Clinton, going carry because of what they saw Franklin County accomplish. They wanted to emulate that across the state. So that's what we've got to do. We got to go back to old school. We got to go back to knocking on doors. We got to go back to making sure that our only people are registered to vote. But the fact that they need to make sure that they vote is even more important. And so we saw that. We saw that in Franklin County and in other mm-hmm. major counties in the last presidential election. And yet Ohio as a whole was bleeding red. My ex-roommate from from Georgia called me and said, what, what what's f- up north of the Mason-Dixon line? Okay. So what do we do? You're talking about statewide efforts. Mm-hmm. What do we do statewide? Well, I mean, again, I, and I'm sorry if I wasn't explicit. I'm saying take that model that Franklin County has and be clear. Let me say it very clearly. Voter registration, I believe in. I did the first citywide voter registration in Columbus, Ohio back in 82 or something. 84, I lost track. Uh, I, it's important. But if you don't get them to the polls, you're not making an impact on the political process. We've got to do part two now. We got to do follow up. We got to make sure they got babysitters. And I'm sorry about being redundant. Babysitters, uh, rides to the polls, whatever it takes. And that's why you see the restrictive kinds of legislation coming by cutting off souls to polls. Souls to polls is a lifeblood. It was started in the black community among the black church that we would leave church. Go to the polls, whether it was a caravan, whether we had, I remember one year we had Clark and we had Tristone Baptist Church and all of that up there. So I'm saying, I'm sorry, I'm saying that simply say we have got to go back to the streets as, as Abrams did. So each one of our listeners should. Earlier in the session, we talked about writing your congressperson, Mm -hmm. correct? Writing your congressperson, that matters. Yes. And saying no voter suppression, okay? What else can each person in our audience do? What message would you leave everyone with? Well, I think one, again, write your congressman, but all politics is local. Don't ever forget that. And judges whom we seem to forget and forget to vote and we skip them because we don't know them, they make a major impact in the African-American community. It's not by accident that a whole lot of black folk locked up and our youth are locked up. That's not an accident. So we cannot afford to skip judges. Just one local politics impact you. So stay woke. That's our theme for the day. That's the main thing for each of our listeners to do. Stay woke. We know you're tired of 24 seven news. Listen to it for 30 minutes. Keep abreast of what's going on. It is your constitutional right and obligation, no matter who you are, no matter what your income is to vote. And you can only do it if you stay woke. Keep looking through the window with us. Larry Price, thank you. Thank you to our other guests. We wish we had three times as much time Mm -hmm. to talk about it, but it's not going away. It's not going away. All right. Everybody stay woke. Everybody will see you next week. Next week, we're going to have a spiritual uh, conversation. Yes, we are. And we're going to have it recorded because Dr. Joe and I will not be here, but we've got a message. So be sure to tune in as we look through the window. Thank you.